Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a copy of the scriptures as we look at Ephesians 4 together, then get some of these guys' attention as they make their way down the aisle. They have some Bibles. They will get that to you so you can follow along. It's marked at the passage that we'll be reviewing together today. I mentioned that Kim had, my wife, had surgery on Friday. She's doing well. But whenever she is out of commission, even for a few days, I always realize how much I depend on her. Particularly on Sundays, it's a very busy day for us, a lot to get together. So it is a grade B miracle that I am clothed and in my right mind uh, this morning. I've got the clothed part down. We'll see about the uh, in my right mind as we proceed. You see on the screen behind me the title of our series through the book of Ephesians, Your Place in God's Plan. And if you've not been able to be with us for the previous sessions in this uh, series, those are all like all of our lessons and sermons on our website, and I encourage you to listen to those. But you will see the development of that theme, that God has a plan going back to eternity past in which he has called us to participate. That plan could be summarized a number of ways, one of which is this. That God's plan involves going from paradise to prison. In fact, I have a book on my shelf by that, that title. Now, why from paradise to prison? God, the Bible teaches, and we have reviewed in the book of Ephesians, who is perfect and complete and needs nothing and no one outside of himself, decided for his own purposes to extend his glory by creating humanity. Humanity, the Bible teaches, was God's crowning achievement because he made man, male and female in his image so that they could reflect God back to God by being like him in the way that they thought, in the way that they spoke, and in the way that they acted. But in order, order to truly bring glory to God, they would need to want God more than his gifts. And so God gave them a test. And we know about that test in the garden. And they failed the test miserably. They were tempted with being like God, but being like God outside of obedience to the true and living God. And as a result, their existence very quickly went from paradise to prison. Their environment changed completely. They were banished from the paradise garden that a gracious God had given them to enjoy. They would not be able to re-enter the paradise garden at all unless God intervenes in the future. But thanks be to God, He has indeed intervened. The story of the Bible is going from paradise to prison, but God is on a rescue program for those prisoners. And God then promised in the third chapter of your Bible that he would make a way through one who would come through the seed of the woman to release the prisoners from their captivity. And God said this one who would rescue this deliverer would be like one who is a prototype that he sent named Moses. I'm going to send one to you who's going to be like Moses. And what did Moses do? Moses led his people out of captivity and out of their prison, and to the promised land. And at the appointed time, the Bible teaches at just the right time, the Deliverer came to the prison. And he gathered to himself some of the inmates. And he said, I have come to give freedom to the captives. And here's the plan. I'm going to die. Say what? You're supposed to come and crush the enemy and storm the gates. And Jesus told them, first, I must give my life as a ransom for many. I will die for their sins in their place so that they can have a relationship with God that they forfeited because of their, their sin. And he executed that plan just as he said he would, exactly on God's timetable. The inmates that he had gathered together, his first 
his first followers, the apostles, were demoralized as they thought it was just one more false claim to freedom. Then he emerged alive and glorified and ready for the next phase of his plan. And now they thought he will surely destroy the enemy and the captors. We will all be set not only spiritually free, but physically free. He tells them, you have now, because of me, escaped the spiritual bonds of your former guardians. You now know the truth that sets us free. You will now live for something, no, for someone outside the prison. And so you will no longer be confined by it. You are now spiritually free. You will one day be physically free. But there's work to be done in the meantime. All of those other inmates that you've come to know in the prison that is this life, they need to know about this freedom as well. And I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to call many of them out of that prison and to the freedom that is found in me. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it through you. (laughs) They say, what? Us? The risen Lord, the glorified Lord, in his final words gives instructions to them that says it is you who are going to go into all the world and you are going to give this good news message that brings freedom. And I'm going to equip you to be able to do that. Go and stay in the city until you receive power to begin the mission that I have given to you. And they do that. A few weeks later, the Bible tells us, Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that day they began the mission that Jesus gave them to continue this process of calling prisoners out of darkness and into the freedom and light that is found in Jesus. Now they were surprised and they were scared that they were to be the vehicles of this message of freedom. But it goes further. Jesus Christ not only called them But he calls you and he calls me to be his vehicles through whom this mission will go forward. Now, how do I know that? Take a look at verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Now when it says, he, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. If you have an NIV, you notice that that's in quotations. And so when verse 8 says, this is why it says, it's saying this is why the Bible says. It's a quotation from the first part of your Bible. And in particular, it's a quote from Psalm number 68 and verse 18. And the section of which verse 18 in Psalm 68 is a part is all about this. It is about the people of God asking God in prayer, Lord, deliver us. And in the process of asking God to deliver them, Psalm 68 recounts how God has indeed delivered them in the past. It talks about God being the creator and the one who has all power. It talks about God sending the deliverer Moses to lead them out of bondage in Egypt. It speaks of him protecting and providing for them in their 40-year wandering in the wilderness and finally bringing them to the promised land and giving them the strength and the ability to conquer the land that he had promised to their forefathers. It recounts all of that and then it says, O Lord, do this again. And it says in Psalm 68... That when God did all of this, he found a place for his own abode, Mount Zion, Jerusalem. And then he ascended 
back on high. And that's why this passage says then in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. So the picture in Psalm 68 that's now being quoted here is of the sovereign God, the ruler of the universe, doing all of these marvelous things, leading his people out of captivity, leading them to the promised land, ascending back on high, but leading those that he has vanquished in the process, in a procession of humility before him, because they are now his captives. All of those who were God's enemies and the enemies of God's people are now the captives of Almighty God. And it says he gave gifts to men. Actually, Psalm 68 and verse 18 says he received gifts from men. And Paul here quotes it as, he gave gifts to men. Now what's going on there? As, as God does all of this marvelous work and leads his people out of imprisonment, it was the custom of a sovereign who had vanquished an enemy to take the spoils from that enemy, to receive gifts of appeasement and tribute to the conquering king. And so he received gifts from men, and then it was customary to take those gifts and give the gifts that formerly belonged to the enemy now to the king's own people. And Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, this is what he has done with you and me. He has called us out of the bondage of sin. He has called us into his glorious light. Jesus Christ has vanquished his enemies. He has led them in triumphal procession. He has conquered them. The victory is now assured only to be finalized in the future. And that's why the Bible says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross that making a public spectacle is what these sovereigns would do when they would take over an enemy and they would make them, force them to walk in front of the people to show their humiliation. That's what Jesus has done. And he's ascended on high and he's led captives in his train. And this sovereign who has vanquished all enemies has given gifts to men. He's given gifts to you and to me. The one who has given those gifts is none other than the sovereign Lord of the universe. We're going to see in just a bit that those who are included in receiving these gifts are every one of us who have come to God through Jesus Christ. Every one of us. And I want you to just pause and consider if indeed this is true, and I trust you believe what God's Word says, that Jesus Christ, God having come in the flesh, entered the prison to release the prisoners, has now given us gifts, then we ought to consider that the highest privilege in the universe. To be chosen by God, to receive gifts from Him, to be used for His purposes that we'll see in just a moment. That's why I say in your outline, that's inserted in your program, and I encourage you to look there. Serving Christ. Serving Christ is a privilege. Serving Jesus Christ is the greatest of privileges, and that's why Paul quotes in verse 8 of chapter 4, this Old Testament passage in Psalm 68, signifying the work of God in the past, freeing his people from bondage in Egypt, bringing them into the promised land. In the case of the conquest, when they went into the promised land, he said, take their goods and use them in your land. But hear this now. Jesus has vanquished all spiritual enemies, but spiritually they have nothing to give. The powers of darkness Jesus defeated had nothing to give him of spiritual value. 
And so how now does Jesus receive gifts and then give those gifts to us to carry on, to carry on his work? I mentioned to you Acts chapter 2 and the promised Holy Spirit coming on Jesus' first followers. Notice what the Bible tells us of Jesus exalted now to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This sovereign Lord has now given the Holy Spirit to His people. And He has given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They could also be called the gifts of Jesus Christ to all of His people to carry out His work. And thus, serving this Lord, serving Christ, serving the Anointed One is the highest of privileges. Verse 9 says, What does He ascended, quoted in verse 8 from Psalm 68, what does He ascended mean except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, when verse 9 asks, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended? It's simply saying, if in fact he ascended, and he did, then that implies that he first descended. And so he was in heaven, he was exalted, but he descended to earth. When it says descended to the lower earthly regions, sometimes people equate that with what Peter says about him going and preaching to the captives in in prison, in Hades. It's not speaking of that. It's simply saying he came to earth. He was above the earth. He was in heaven. He is God. He ascended, but he first descended to the lower earthly regions. In his incarnation, God becoming man in order to carry out this grand mission of God planned in eternity past. And so he descended... And now he has ascended and the Sovereign Lord has given the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit to you and to me. Now what are these privileged gifts that God has given them to you and me? Some of those are listed in verse 11. It was he, this Sovereign Lord, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now we're going to see there are myriad other gifts in addition to these, but five are listed here. So he has given gifts. In particular, he has given these five, and then as we go on, we'll see he's given many more as well. It begins in verse 11 with the gifts of apostles and prophets. The apostles and the prophets are or were foundational gifts given to establish the church through whom the mission of Jesus would be carried out in his world through his people who comprised the church to set the captives free. He gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. Now, I don't want to beat on it too long, but and many of you have heard me say this before, but there are no more apostles today. There are no more prophets today either. That's why I say they were foundational gifts to establish the church. Now, that's not true just because I say it. It's true because the Bible teaches it in a number of places. And I'd like to give that to you and then move on to the other gifts that Christ has given that are operative for us today. In chapter 2 and verse 20, if you just turn back a couple of pages, chapter 2 and verse 20, Chapter 2 and verse 20 of Ephesians tells us that the church is built upon the foundation of, you all see that there? The apostles and prophets. For a foundation to function indeed as a foundation, it's not something that continues to be constructed. A foundation is laid and then built upon. And that foundation for the church consists of these offices of apostle and prophet. Further. As you look at the apostles in the New Testament, you find a number of characteristics of them that certainly tell us there are no apostles today. Let me list those for you. If you care, you can jot them down. 
One is that the apostles were limited in number. You have them simply called the twelve. <laughs> Judas betrays Jesus, then they're called the eleven. And then they're going to have one take Judas's place to bring it back to twelve. And in Acts chapter 1 in your Bible, when the eleven meet to determine who will take Judas's place, they say it has to be someone who has been with us the entire time so that he can be a witness with us of his resurrection. There's no one alive today who fits that qualification. And they chose a man named Matthias. So it had to have been someone who had seen the risen Lord. Paul says of his own credentials, as he saw the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, you remember his miraculous conversion in Acts chapter 9. He says, I was a, an apostle, as it were, born out of due season. And as he talks about his qualifications for being an apostle, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, he says this, Have I not seen our risen Lord? Their limited number. They had to have seen the risen Lord further. They performed special signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Paul says, I am able to do, quote, the signs that accompany, an, that mark an apostle. They're not signs that mark everybody, they're signs that mark an apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, it speaks of miraculous signs and wonders done by, quote, those who heard him. And then last, in the last book of your Bible, second to the last chapter in your Bible, as the Apostle John is given a vision of what the new Jerusalem is going to look like in all of its dimensions, it's, he's given a, a, a instructions about its foundation. It says the foundation had 12 sides on which were written the names of the 12 lambs, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so they're limited in number. They had to have seen the risen Lord. They did special signs and wonders. And it's their names who are inscribed on the foundation of the new Jerusalem. No apostles. No prophets. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, who in times past spoke to us by the prophets, has now spoken to us by His Son. These were foundational gifts given to the church to ground it, to begin it. They gave us revelation. We now have the Bible. We now have God's Word inscribed for us that we can read. I'll get off this, but friends, let me just say, be very careful of those who claim to have God speaking to them outside of the Bible. God has given us His Word in Scripture through the apostles and prophets. He has established His church. And it is a dangerous thing indeed for anyone to come and say, I speak with the authority of Almighty God. Can anyone add a book to your Bible? Why not? It's done. It's completed. And it's given to us by God. Revelation from God is foundational. And that's why these apostles and prophets are singled out in other passages in Scripture. Notice, in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, and then third teachers. And we'll go on to see, in addition, workers of other types. Those giving and dispensing God's revelation are enumerated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First apostles, second prophets. And then those who receive that revelation that God gave through them, teach it to others. Revelation is foundational. Some gave it, now others dispense it. If you look then at verse 11 of Ephesians 4, 
It was he who gave some then to be apostles and to be prophets and some to be evangelists and then pastors and teachers. With regard to this gift of evangelists to God's church, let me just say what I believe that was and is for God's church. I do not believe an evangelist is what the popular notion carries with it. When you think of an evangelist, what do you think of? Well, a guy on TV, one, a televangelist. Or you think of a guy holding mass crusades. There's nothing wrong with preaching the gospel in mass to people. In fact, that's a glorious thing. But I don't believe that's what the word evangelist, the office of evangelist is in the New Testament. I won't bore you with all the reasons. But I believe he to be a church planter or a, a mission, what we would call a missionary. Someone who goes, gives the gospel, people are converted, they are gathered into a church, and he may move on to do the same thing in another town. That's what you saw Paul do over and over again in the book of Acts, don't you? Dr. William Combs from Detroit Baptist Seminary has written a long article on this issue, concluding that very thing, I think, persuasively in the Detroit Baptist Theological Journal. If any of you are interested, I'll be happy to get that to you. And if that's true, it means that in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, Christ has given some to be apostles and prophets, some to be evangelists, and they are then in logical order. Because the apostles and the prophets receive revelation from God. They give that revelation to others like evangelists, church planters, missionaries, who then go and dispense that revelation to others. People are then converted brought into churches where they need to be edified and built up by pastors and teachers. And so verse 11 says, and he gave some to be pastors and teachers. Now, have any of you ever heard someone say, instead of a ti their title being pastor, it's pastor-teacher? Anybody ever heard that? In fact, a, a, a pastor that I respect greatly, and I've recommended to you over the years and still, still do, uh, John MacArthur. John MacArthur has been called pastor-teacher for decades. And that's because he believes that this passage actually doesn't teach that there are pastors and teachers, but that the pastor-teachers are the same thing. And he does that based upon a rule of Greek grammar called the Granville-Sharp rule. Does anybody care about that? I didn't think so. Well, let me just say, this is not a Granville-Sharp situation. I could tell you the reasons. Granville Sharp situation, you all want to know, don't you? Involves two singular nouns where the first has the article and the second does not and they're joined by the word and. Now take a look at the end of verse 11. Are these singular? Pastors and teachers. They're plural. Granville Sharp does not apply to that. So these are two different things. Pastors and teachers. They overlap because every pastor is a teacher, but not every teacher is a pastor. And God has given both to His church to take the revelation given to the apostles and prophets and to build up God's people for what purpose? Well, the purpose is found in verse 12. And verse 12 says, It is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Serving Christ, first of all, is a privilege because the gifts to serve Christ are given us by Christ himself, the conquering Lord. But secondly, in your outline, serving Christ is a privilege, notice now, for every Christian. Back in verse 7 of chapter 4, notice what it says. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So who all has been given gifts by the Lord Christ in order to carry out His work? To each one of us, just as Christ has apportioned it. And He has given these foundational ministries of apostles and prophets, and then evangelists to carry out this work and establish churches, and then pastors and teachers to build people up who are brought into those churches, and every one of those people called out of the world and into the church are gifted by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's a privilege for every Christian. So what do pastors do? Verse 12, prepare God's people for works of service. And then gives the reason for that. If you have a King James, I've got a quotation of this verse from the King James Version of the Bible on the screen. And the King James says this, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. But then it says this, For the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And as you read that, it would be very easy to come away to say, God has given pastors to do these three things. He's given pastors to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And it is partly from this that so many people in our churches have come away with the false notion that the work of the ministry is the job of paid pastors. We pay pastors to do the work of the ministry. The King James says that. God has given these pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the building up of the body, the edifying of the saints. And yet, there's no commas in Greek. And it actually says what the NIV has. And again, if you take a look in Ephesians chapter 4, he gave these pastors and teachers, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so, verse 7, Christ has given gifts to all of his people, each one of us. He has given some particular positions in his work in the church. And pastors and teachers now have the work of preparing God's people, all of God's people, for works of service. That's why the Bible teaches that all of us have the Holy Spirit. And all of us have been given gifts of the Spirit now to be carried out through his church. It is a privilege for every Christian. Now in verse 7, it says, each one of us has been given grace as Christ has apportioned it. As we've looked in chapters 1 through 3, we have seen the grace of God expounded marvelously there by the Apostle Paul. And there the grace of God brings us all together in a unified body. That is saving grace that unifies us all under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as we saw last week, verse 5 of chapter 4. But now, in verse 7, Paul transitions not to saving grace that unifies us, but to serving grace that diversifies us. In this one body that is unified around Jesus Christ, He has now given various gifts, apportioned them according to his own will to all of God's people in a diverse manner for us to move his mission forward. That's why the Bible says we have different gifts according to the grace given us. It says elsewhere, there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. Do you all see that you have been gifted by the Lord Jesus Christ? You have been gifted by the Lord Jesus Christ to do the work of the ministry. It's a privilege from the sovereign God of the universe who has vanquished his enemies, ascended on high and given gifts to you and to me. And that privilege is for every single Christian. There are five lists of gifts in your New Testament. Five. They're found in Romans 12. Two of them are in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 here, and 1 Peter chapter 4. Five lists of gifts. 
If you count them all up, there are around 20 different gifts listed. Now hear this. Those lists of gifts are never des- were never designed to be exhausted. So you don't go hunting around in those g- gift lists and say, which one of those is mine? The point is not for all of the possible gifts to be listed, but simply to list enough and enough variety to say to God's people, every last one of you has been wired by Almighty God to carry out my work. It's a privilege from the Sovereign Lord, and it's a privilege for every Christian. And what's it for? Verse 12. The work of, for works of service. And the word service is the word translated elsewhere in your New Testament ministry. You could, you could substitute for works of ministry. My dear mom used to, when she would introduce me to anybody, she would always say, my son's a minister. She was so proud that her son was a minister. That was her term. I was always embarrassed by it, but she would always say that. But you know, in the New Testament, guess who's a minister? Each one of us. We're all gifted for the work of the ministry. We're all ministers. We have different roles to play. I have a different role to play as a pastor to equip God's people for works of service or works of ministry. And so the Bible teaches something called every member ministry. The Sovereign Lord has given you this privilege. It's a privilege for every Christian. And so I ask you this question, dear friend. Do you have a ministry that exploits the gifts that Jesus Christ has given to you? Do you, is everybody listening? This is like really important. Do you have a ministry that exploits the gifts that Jesus Christ has given to you? The sovereign Lord has given you this privilege. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He's given us this privilege. He's gifted you. And you've got to ask the question, I've got to ask the question, do I have ministry that exploits the gifts that Jesus has given me? Well, how do I get in the game? Because the truth is, some of us are not in the game. And Jesus says, get in the game. How do I do that? Let me suggest to you, take on a task to get started. Did you all know before you came here today the seats that you're sitting in had to be put to, set up by a bunch of people? Did you all know that in order to hear my voice right now some people had to come in early, those guys, and set up sound equipment? In order for us to be able to see those verses and sing those songs, somebody had to set up those video monitors? In order for you not to be distracted right now, we have people, servants, godly servants, teaching your babies and your toddlers in other places in this building. I could go down list after list. There were people who, when you came in, told you where to go. They greeted you. They gave you a program. They told you, oh, these are all people who have to get here early. You say, they must all be retired people that just have plenty of time. If you came on Telegraph, you saw some signs out there that said Community Baptist Church on the road. When you came in on Van Horn, the sign that's usually at the one driveway was at the other driveway because you can't get in this, the one we normally use. And do you know who put that out there? Brian Kurtz puts those out there. You all know who Brian Kurtz is? Brian has three little ones at home. He comes early every week, and sometimes it's not sunny outside when he's putting those signs out there. Dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ has gifted you to be involved in his work. And it is a privilege for every Christian. One of the five gift lists that I mentioned, 1 Peter 4, has two categories of lists, speaking gifts and serving gifts. The speaking gifts, things like pastoring and teaching. The vast, vast majority of people fit into the serving gift category. 
Most people say, I'd rather die than have to get up and talk in front of people. That's fine. God knew that. And so he's got all kinds of serving gifts behind the scenes, sorts of stuff for you to do. Now, why is that service all rendered? All of that otherwise menial stuff, setting up chairs and video and audio and taking care of our children and greeting you when you come in and in the parking lot and all the myriad other things that are carried on. You're going to enjoy Cafe Community in just a bit. Folks had to set all that stuff up. And why is it all done? So that the teaching of the Word of God can occur. And so that the results of that teaching are seen in selfless service to and by one another. And what's the result then of all of that? Verse 13 of Ephesians 4. We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. We have, just by virtue of being Christians and having the Holy Spirit, unity in some measure. What Paul is saying here is that that unity must be attained fully. As we learn what we believe, especially who Jesus is and what He has done for us, and we become like Him. That is, we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We serve together in order to be taught who He is and what He has done so that we can become like Him and thus become unified in becoming like Him. Or to put it another way, in the words of our church's purpose, our mission state, we exist to help people learn about God. And to love Him and others and to live for His Now, the last point I won't have to spend as much time on since I have just a few minutes left. But before we move to that last point, dearest friend, Jesus Christ calls you to serve Him. Jesus Christ has gifted you to serve Him. On the negative side, failure to serve the Lord Jesus is to say, I don't see you as the sovereign Lord. I don't see this gift that you have given me as so wonderful after all. Dear friend, do you understand the crime that it is against our holy sovereign God for you to fail to use the gifts that he has given for the purposes for which he has given them? I said find a task. We got lots of them. And here's how you do that. Where's Ken Rapp? Where he's serving somewhere. He's, count, he's counting money, isn't he? Okay? So Ken is serving, so he's here. He was here early. He's been here early for almost 10 years, literally. And he's serving somewhere right now. But Ken heads a ministry of placing people in ministry. I'll have occasion to mention this in our second hour, but Ken is the guy you need to see. Before you leave today, say to Ken, I want to get in the game. And last in your outline. Serving Christ is a privilege. It's a privilege for every Christian. And it's a privilege with purpose. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. Serving Christ is a privilege, but it's a privilege with a purpose. And the purpose is that we all become like Jesus. Now verse 14 saying, we'll no longer be like this, no longer tossed to and fro, back and forth, assumes that we're susceptible to being caught up unless we're grounded. And wouldn't you agree that there is all kinds of nonsense to get caught up in? 
all kinds of crazy teaching out there, every wind of teaching that blows God's people who are not grounded all over the place. Remember the world was going to end May 21? Now it's going to end October 21. So just be on the lookout. That's what they said. We got the calculation wrong. It's October 21. When I was a kid, I can't tell you how many hours I spent being taught that if you played rock music backwards, anybody, anybody hear this? You play, there's messages called backward ma- backmasking. I saw a joke once that said, you might be a fundamentalist if. The only rock music you've ever heard was played backwards. <laughs> that was pretty much true for me for a long time. And so there was weird stuff like that that people get caught up in. Satanism was the craze for a long time. There's just Satanism going on everywhere. Kids are being snatched so that they can be killed for satanic rituals. There was a guy named Mike Warnke. Anybody know that name? He wrote books. He was on the radio. He was scaring Christians all over the place. Turned out he was an absolute fake. He said he had led some satanic cult, then he came to Christ, and no such thing was true. And most of these things are all perpetrated on the Christian community through marketing, often through Christian radio. If you can baptize it as God's somehow, well, then it's okay. I'm just going to mention to you some false teachers, and then we'll move on. You all know who T.D. Jakes is? You go into a Christian bookstore, just about any, inner city doesn't have T.D. Jakes stuff. They're a little bit careful with what they put out there, thankfully. In fact, quite careful. But you go to a family Christian store, T.D. Jakes is all over the place. You know T.D. Jakes does not believe in the Trinity? Jesus only. Oneness Pentecostalism. That's what it's called. T.D. Jakes. So I'd say don't read T.D. Jakes. He's a heretic. One of the challenges for a new church, a relatively young church, is on the one hand not to damper our enthusiasm, the enthusiasm of young Christians, but for each of us to be grounded and to be kept that way. And one thing that I would just encourage you, friends, and many of you young in the Lord, don't get caught up in all the stuff you hear that's marketed by the Christian, so-called Christian community. And if you find yourself saying often, hey, have you heard about? You know, the truth of the matter is, I've heard about just about everything at 49 at this point. And you know, I'm pretty satisfied with my Bible and what Jesus has said through his apostles and prophets and the latest trend and fad I really don't care that much about, to be honest. And I'm encouraging you not to care much about it either. I could mention a bunch more other people. You guys are all looking at me like, okay, Jakes, who else? I'm moving on. Notice what verse 15 says. Instead of that, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. That phrase, speaking the truth in love, is literally this, truthing, this is literally what it says, truthing in love. You see, it's not just speaking. It's not just speaking the truth. It is truthing, that is. It is speaking the truth, but it is modeling and living the truth as well. And what the Word of God is saying is that as we all do that, as we all use the gifts that Jesus has given, and we, yes, speak the truth, but we also model the truth in community with one another, then the result will be that in all things we grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. John Stott, who wrote an excellent commentary on the book of Ephesians, said this. I'll read it and we'll be finished. He says, thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they're conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eyes. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. But others make the opposite mistake. They're determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love. But in order to do so, they're prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both of these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. But love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. 
the apostle calls us to hold the two together, which should not be difficult for spirit-filled believers since the Holy Spirit is himself the spirit of truth and his first fruit is love. There is no other route than this to a fully mature Christian unity. My dear friend, as I say in your outline, bottom of your outline, every Christian, every Christian should be eager to serve Jesus Christ. Are you eager to serve him so that you can contribute to his plan that we all are unified and grow up into the head which is Christ? That is, we all become like Jesus. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to see there the privileges you've afforded to us as Christians. You do not need us. You let us. You allow us to serve you. I thank you for letting me serve you. All of our service is meager, but if rendered to you out of a heart of love for the Lord Jesus, you see it as a marvelous fragrance coming up to the throne of God. And we thank you for that grand privilege. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Lord of the universe and who has gifted each of us differently in this unity that is the body of Christ. We have the diversity of how you have equipped us to serve you. Help me help us to see it for the great privilege that it is. May each person here who professes the name of Jesus reprioritize lesser things so that they can serve the King. I pray that every person here who says they know Jesus understand the seriousness of refusing to use the gifts that he has given for the purpose for which given. May we do that. May we serve you by serving each other and serving this community to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And thereby, may we become like Christ, as it were, as one man before you. We want to glorify you individually, Lord Jesus. And we want to glorify you as your church as well. Aid us as we do that, for without it we cannot. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.